Um, now we're going to look at Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. So uh, find that in your Bibles or on your bulletin. That's Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you today, and we thank you for this opportunity of worship and this opportunity to be together. Pray that you bless Brian as he speaks. Give him strength and wisdom to share with us everything that he's prepared. And God, I pray that we would all be working together in this time and spurring one another along uh, to be closer to you, Jesus, and to be chasing after uh, the life that you've called us to. Jesus, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. All right, this morning um, we're going to talk about one short phrase in the passage this morning. And Jesse, can we have that, those four words? All right, there we go. One thing I do. Paul writes that in uh, his letter to the Philippians. And so we're going to focus our attention on those four words. One thing I do. The problem is, and we all know this, is that life is made of so many different parts and life is busy and hard, and we get preoccupied with so many things. So how do we live a life of all these different pieces and bring them to one thing? I was thinking, uh, I was thinking this week about growing up in, uh, in Port Townsend, and one of the things that, that my mom did often is she was a very kind-hearted person, to um, often um, widows who were um, living alone in these large houses and where they'd raise their families and they'd just gotten older and she would always befriend them and, and help them. And as a, as a teenage boy, I did not like that at all because I knew that meant work. She would say, you're coming, you're going to help, you're going to move things out of the house, we're going to help her, we're going to clean, we're going to do all this stuff. Well, one time, I remember carrying this giant mirror out of this house. And, you know, typical teenage attitude, just kind of grumpy. And, and, and I actually coerced one of my good friends to come along with me and help me. And I'm carrying this mirror out. And right before I, I put it in the car, bright sunny day, the sun hits it. And it creates this light beam that I felt like it went for like a mile. And, of course, my, you know, my teenage boys were like, this is it. So we're like shooting this like Star Wars light beam, uh, you know, across Port Towns. And, and of course, like teenage boys, like, okay, we're going to like start doing bad things with it, like looking for people to drive their car. Just, okay, I'll stop there in that part of the story. <laughs> but we had lots, lots of fun shooting this giant light beam across town. And I think it's, it's a picture here of of what Paul's talking about. We have light all around us today. It's, it's, it's a beautiful morning after the rain and light is all around us. 
But Paul says that there has to be a focus to our lives. It has to be um, a condensed understanding of life. There needs to be a precision to life. There needs to be a laser beam of focus on our lives. In fact, this week I read about a town in Norway that for many months of the year, because of where it is, and because if it's in a canyon, they live in shadows for many months of the year. And one guy came up with this idea, and he, all the old, the old people, they said, that mocked him and made fun of him. And he said, what about this idea? I'm going to put these giant mirrors on one side of the canyon, and then I'll have them track with the sun and reflect down into the town. And it changed the whole town. People began, it was the gathering place of this little tiny little town in this deep canyon. And people would go and like lift their shirts and warm their bellies and their faces because it's in Norway and it's cold and and, and, uh, you're in the shadows. And this intense, direct, focused light changed people's lives. Paul says that there's one thing that he does. And so here's what I think that means. One thing that I do means that you gather up all the parts of your life and you reorient them to Jesus. We have so many different moving pieces in our lives. Gather up all the parts of your life that you're thinking about right now and reorient them to Jesus Christ. And now we begin to think and, and get this idea of one thing I do. It doesn't mean, Paul's not saying that I, I forget about all my responsibilities in life and I just sit around and, and, and retreat and, and read the Bible all day and pray. He's not saying that. He's saying that we gather up our pieces, all the different areas, all the different relationships, the different dimensions to our lives, and we reorient them to Jesus. And so then he says this. This is um, verse 15. He says, let those who are mature think this way. Let those who are growing, let those who are mature think about the different parts of their life and redirect all of them to Jesus Christ. And so what we will do then this morning is I'm going to show you four different attitudes four different ways, four different approaches to life that will help us do this one thing. Not lots of things, just one thing, okay? So number one is this, is that if we are going to make Jesus Christ that one thing in our life, you have to understand this. Number one is this, that Jesus makes you his own. That Jesus makes you his own. Before you can follow Christ before you can press deeper into Christ, we have to understand that Jesus makes you his own. Let me show you where this is found. Verse 12 says this, not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. And here's what Paul says, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. It's this idea that if you are going to take a hold of Jesus in your life, you have to understand that Jesus first will take a hold of you. Jesus is pursuing people. He's loving people. 
In fact, John chapter 15, verse 16 says this, the words of Jesus. He says, you do not choose me, but I choose you. Christianity is something that comes upon you, that um, overcomes you, that becomes this overwhelming presence in your life. One example of that is Acts chapter 9, when the apostle Paul is on the road to Damascus, and he's on his way to persecute Christians. And Jesus comes upon him. He wasn't looking for Jesus. He wasn't going to church. In fact, he was doing the opposite. He was going his own way. He was running away from Jesus. Here's what Acts chapter 9 says this. As Paul was breathing threats against the church, he says this, Acts chapter 9. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting. And so Christianity is about Jesus coming to you, that there is a spiritual intensity that comes to you. Now, why is this an important foundational thing for us to understand? It's because of this. We live in a community where there are endless approaches to self-help in life. There are minor ways and there are major ways we can do self-help. And Christianity is not self-help. It's something that comes upon you with an intensity, with a focus. There are endless ways in which you can improve your life right now. We can go for a hike. You can have your green smoothie. We can do yoga. We can do just endless things. You can do significant things. You can visit a therapist. You can visit a counselor, read self-help books that, that deal with core things in your life. And those things are not bad in any way. But what I'm saying to you is that that is not Christianity. Christianity is not like trying on a pair of shoes to see if they're comfortable, to see if they fit. Christianity is an intense spiritual experience. But that should cause us to pause and ask a couple of questions. Does that mean that you must have this intense, deep spiritual conversion experience? And I would say no. That become a becoming a Christian is often a gradual process where you are thinking about the words of Christ. In fact, Jesus says this, to consider the cost, to think carefully about it. Jesus is teaching us here that before we can pursue Christ, he will pursue you. Well, how do you know if Jesus is pursuing you? How do you know if Jesus is speaking to you? Are there any signs, are there things you can discern in your own life? John chapter 10, verse 27 will help us, and I think we have it here. John chapter 10, and it, it's Jesus speaking about his life as a shepherd. <clears throat> Here's how you can tell whether it's a progressive transformation or this powerful conversion. Here's what Jesus says. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. So you can ask yourself, is God speaking to you? Does God speak to you through his word? Not in an audible voice, but through his word. 
Is he touching your heart? Does, do the things that we read in Scripture, do they affect your life? Do they create change? Jesus speaks to you. Jesus knows you. He says this, and I will give them eternal life, and they will never, never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. My Father who is greater has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. So the question is, do you hear the voice of God? Is he speaking to you through his word? The Apostle Paul, in writing about this one thing that he does, he understands that the anchor of this is that Christ makes you his own. And so that is the foundation for what this, will looks, like, what this looks like. Our, our experiences of becoming Christians, they're not always dramatic. Sometimes they are. But here's what goes away in your life. Indifference. How do you know if you're progressing spiritually? That you begin to care deeply about spiritual things. That, that the thing that you once were kind of like, ah, I could take it or leave it, it becomes the focus of like a laser beam of light. Number two, the second attitude that Paul says is necessary if you're going to focus on one thing, if you're going to be growing in maturity, Paul says this. Number two, be aware of what you're not. And this is very interesting what Paul says. Be aware of what you're not. Honest about your imperfections. He says this twice. Verse 12, he writes this. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect. Then he also says that he has not, later on, he says, um, now I need my glasses. (laughs) There they go. Verse 12, not that I have already obtained this, And then verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own. So Paul repeats twice that he is self-aware of his imperfections. He says mature people think this way. Maturity then is not linked to Christian talk, being able to recite verses, being able to recite or say certain things. Here's what Paul says. Maturity is directly linked to humble consistency. Maturity rejects an exaggerated view of self. Maturity remembers the story of the tortoise and the hare. In 1934, Disney came out with their animation of the story of the tortoise and the hare. The tortoise was named Toby, and the hare, or the rabbit, was named Max. And the 1934 version is slightly different than my memory of the story. The cartoon begins with Max coming out, the rabbit excited and with his matching track outfit, his shoes and shirt and and tank top, and he's excited. And Toby, the turtle, as you would expect, speaks slowly and sticks out his hand to say hello to the rabbit at the starting line, and the rabbit puts out his hand and pulls it back and goes, gotcha. And then, he, and then the rabbit says something like, oh, yeah, I'm, I, I, that, that wasn't very nice. I'm a, I'm a good friend, right? We're, we're good friends, right? And, and the rabbit puts out his hand again to the turtles. 
And he's like, yeah, yeah, we're good friends. Got you again. Did it again. The race starts. And as my memory went, after a short star start, he takes a nap, right? But then Toby the turtle tiptoes past him. Just as he gets past him, though, the rabbit wakes up and passes Toby the turtle again. But then the rabbit comes across four pretty little bunnies, four little girl bunnies sitting on the fence. And what does he do? He begins to show off and brag about his speed. And here comes Toby the turtle slowly, slowly passing by. And the girl bunny says something like, aren't you worried about the turtle? And he, no, no problem at all. And he discontinually shows off. And eventually he realizes what's happening. But it's too late. And he loses the race. A sign of immaturity is to think of yourself more highly than you ought. Spiritual hares or spiritual rabbits are often exhausting because there's very little follow-through in what they do. So here's what Paul is saying. He takes an honest assessment about his life. He's able to detach and look at his life and assess where he truly is. And he says, I'm not perfect. I listened to a sermon this week by a guy named Alistair Begg from uh, Cleveland, Ohio, I believe. And he said this, he, he preached a sermon on this passage and he said this to his congregation. If you knew honestly what kind of man I was, you all would stop coming to this church. And then he said, that's okay because if I honestly knew what you all were like, I would stop preparing for my sermons. <laughs> the reality is this. There's no room for boasting from me or anyone here. We are all in progress. In fact, what's interesting to me about the book of Philippians is it's a community of people that Paul is most excited about, that there's no big conflict, there's nothing big drama going on. But, Look what he says to a church that is doing well. Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, he says this, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. So he's saying this, maturity is linked to an honest assessment. And one of the things he warns them about is about selfish ambition. He also warns them about complaining. And so in the midst of this community that is doing well in life, he warns them about certain things. In fact, James in his writing says this. He says that, James chapter 3, that we all stumble in many ways. Not one or not two, but we all stumble in many ways. So, we can take an honest assessment of where we're at, but here's the good news. Philippians chapter 1, verse 7 says this, that God promises to complete the work in your life, that God is not giving up on anyone here, that you are safe and secure, and as in the words of Jesus, that no one can take you out of his hands. God promises to finish, finish the work. So, the reality of life is we all have lots of things going on. 
if you're a parent, you have dynamics of that, married, life, work, health, all these things. And Paul says that we are to gather all of those pieces up and say, one thing I do, I'm going to reorient my life to Christ. And you can do that when you know that you are safe and secure in his arms. You can do that and you can be honest about yourself as well. Number three, though, he says this and repeats this twice also. A personal responsibility to press on. He says this in verse 12. Not that I'm perfect. I have mistakes. He says, but I press on to make it my own because Christ has made it my own. Verse 14, I press toward the goal. So now this is, this is racing language. And the word press is an intense word that you're going to strive hard after. It's pursuing that the goal is to win the race, that you cannot give up. One of the things that uh, I think um, that happens a lot, and I hear people talk about this in life, is that people set goals. People set professional goals in their lives. And the reason why we do that often is that because if we don't, the moment we get tired or we don't feel like doing something, we will quit and we give up on it. And so Paul is using this language in the same way that you have to set goals for your life, that you have to finish well, you have to finish the race, that you have to pursue Christ. Last week we looked at this when he says that I want to know Christ. I want to gain Christ. I want to obey Christ. If we don't set goals for ourselves, what is the likelihood of you quitting the race? I think that this is, um, this is an important concept for us to think carefully about, this idea of pressing forward to know Christ. One of the things that happens that's, um, that's unfortunate in, in, in church world, and I've just been a little bit more, made more aware of this this week, and that is this, that I regularly meet people who have been deeply hurt by church all the time, regularly. And I've, I'm not going to, but if I said, raise your hand if you've ever been hurt by part of a church, probably almost everyone ha- has in some way. And I, th- I was thinking about it this week. Um, there, there have been, just been several pastors who, who have been fired from churches and just all these different things. And I'm, I'm connecting this a little bit to last week. When Paul lists his resume, he lists his accomplishments. When he says things like this, that I've achieved all these things. And I think it's important for us just to think about for a moment. What is it that you're pursuing? What are the goals, the actual goals of your life? Because Paul says that these things that, that the world around us views as the most important, he counts them as loss for the sake of knowing Christ. And it made me think about this. What kind of church do we want to be? What is, what is our identity? What is it that we want to be known for? Accomplishing certain things, having a certain number of people. But like there, there's endless things that we can be known for. There are endless things that your life can focus on. And Paul says this, 
that I am going to organize my life. I'm going to set things in my life. I'm going to create structure in my life that I will pursue Christ. There are endless distractions that will pull you away from Christ. There are endless things that maybe look good in life but will actually hurt you. And so Paul is saying this. These things that he once viewed as really, really important in life, he says, I'm going to consider them loss and I'm going to press forward with Christ. It's not that these things are bad at all. It's just they will leave you wanting. They will leave your life not satisfied. So pressing forward, moving ahead in life, pursuing Christ, what does that mean for you? What does that look like for you right now in your life? The stage of your life that you're, that you're in right now. And will you set goals? Are there things in your life, are there goals you can set for yourself in your life? Why would you set goals for yourself in your professional life but not in your spiritual life? Why would you organize your life around certain things that you want to accomplish but Christ is excluded from that? So he says, press forward. Next, number four, look forward, not back. Look forwards, not back. He says this, verse 13, brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Forgetting what lies behind. What are the things that we have to forget in life? Let's start this way. Are there things in your personal life that have happened in your past that enslave you, that trap you, that keep you where you are at today? For many people, the past has absolute control over their lives today. That they are enslaved to their past. And Paul says this, that we are forward-looking people we don't ignore the past or deny it happened, but we're forward-looking people. We're not people who live in the glory days of the past. So think about your personal life. Are there things you need to let go? Are there grudges you need to let go? I read this week that the healing traits of any relationship are forgiveness and love. And holding on to a grudge feels right. It feels good. But I'm saying, forgive people. Look forward, not backwards. We're forward-looking people, not backwards-looking people. Let me give you one story from the Old Testament about this that, that um, is inspiring regardless of your age. All right? It's a story from Joshua chapter 14. It's a story of Caleb. Here's what he says. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, came to me at Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. This is the story when um, the 12 spies are sent out to explore the promised land and see what's out there. And he says this, I brought him a word again as it was, as it was in my heart. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly followed the Lord my God. And so we'll just stay there for one second. Let's just look at this and see what's happening here. Caleb is this guy, along with Joshua, though, says this. 
I brought the word of the Lord again. He has convictions. He had beliefs about this new opportunity that, that, that God was calling him to. And the 10 said, no, fear, danger, I can't do it. Caleb is forward-looking, trusting in God. And then he says this. Next verse there, Jesse. And now behold, the Lord has kept me alive, just as he said, these 45 years since the time that the Lord spoke this word to Moses, and while Israel walked in the wilderness. And now behold, I am this day 85 years old. I am still as strong today as I was in the day that Moses sent me. My strength now is as my strength was then for war, for going and coming. Look, here's a guy 85 years old. And he's like, I want to go get some. I still want it. I'm still, I still look, I'm still looking forward in my life. I'm still looking forward. I just think it's interesting that the 10 want to stay stuck. The majority of people just get stuck in life. And two are forward-looking people, that they see opportunities that where other people see struggles and hard things and we can't do it and they're negative. Caleb says there's a way forward, trusting in God. And so part of this idea of one thing I do means you're a forward-looking person, that there's a confidence in God, a confidence and trust in God that he is leading you forward. Think about all the moving pieces in your life reorient them to Jesus. Um, this has been a, it's been a, an exceptionally challenging week, and I know that that's true for many people that I've been talking to this week. And the idea of, of doing a sermon that's positive and focused on one thing I do and being a forward-looking person um, didn't settle all that well with me until we must hold on to this one thing that Christ Jesus has made you his own. That no matter what is going on, and I'll just, the, the quick context, I, I, I got a, a phone call from a friend of mine, my childhood friend yesterday, and his wife is, um, she's 48 years old, and, and uh, she's in a coma, and she went quite a long time without any oxygen, and so it's, it's just, it's not looking good for her to be able to survive this. And I was talking with him yesterday and I was praying with him. And when we think about this, you know, we can get up here and I can talk and, 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 and say what I believe is the truth and, and God's word. But how does it actually meet and press into that situation? How do we connect that? How do we gather that piece of life? How do you walk with a friend who's experiencing things like that? And let me just finish by going back to the beginning. Christianity is not something you just try on. It's something you hold on to because you know that Jesus Christ is holding on to you. That no matter what that thing is you're facing, whether it's life or death, that Jesus Christ will not let go of you. And if you are a follower of Christ, you can live with that confidence. You can live and face anything in life because he promises to never let you go in life or in death.
And that's Paul's focus. It's not in the handout this morning, but he says this in verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That, that's eternal life. That's, that's living in the presence of Jesus for eternity. And so he says this, not that I have already obtained that, I have not yet attained perfection or the resurrection, but I press forward to make that my own. I want to be faithful until that final breath. I want to be found faithful to Jesus. And you do that by focusing on one thing. And that one thing is gathering up all those pieces of your life and reorienting them to Jesus and living with trust and faith and confidence that he has a way forward in life. The gospel is this. It's not that you're to do things for Jesus. Everything that needs to be done has been done through Christ on the cross. Our role is to respond in humble faithfulness, to put our our hope, our trust in Jesus Christ, and that he promises to never let you go, that nothing can take you out of his hands. That's how we can face life. That's how we can move forward. That's how you can be a person who views life as a opportunity to do good things because you're safe and secure in the arms of Christ. My hope, my prayer for your life and for our church is we don't press forward building our identity on the accomplishments of the world, of the things of the world. We press forward together knowing Christ. And we learn together what does that mean exactly for all of us and the challenges we face. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would grow within us a desire to press forward, to not be satisfied, to not be content, but to to know your son Jesus more. I pray that you would help us be more focused, more intentional, less scattered, less chaotic in our lives, but that there would be a precision to following you. Give us the wisdom to say no to certain things. Give us the wisdom to press forward, to view following you as the central thing in our lives. We know that it'll make us better husbands, better wives, better at work, better people. Help us always to remember that all those things come as the result of following your son, Jesus. We love you. Thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.